good to be here. Good to see you guys. Um, kind of wanted to give a little preface um, as we are discussing and thinking about what heaven is. Um, I am taking a systematic approach on purpose uh, so that we can get a little bit of a view of once we're home, some of the things that we're going to be experiencing as believers. And uh, so last night we talked about uh, rewards. Today I want to talk about how those rewards are uh, handed out, what uh, they're based on. And, uh, and then this evening, it, as uh, we continue, I want to talk about the beauty of the kingdom that we're all going to be living in after the Lord returns, and that's the thousand years that uh, he'll rule and reign on this earth. And I want to speak about some of our responsibilities during that time, and then we will move on a little bit, hopefully tomorrow morning, and we will talk about heaven. Uh, we will talk about some of the Maybe the more difficult things that uh, we read in the latter part of Revelation with respect to the millennium and then the holy city, Jerusalem, which is uh, that new city is going to be our dwelling place. And uh, uh, we want to talk about that. That's where the Lord's presence is going to be. Uh, there's just certain things that I think are helpful as we begin uh, contemplating our home I might throw in some speculation. If I do, I'll let you know that this is not in the Bible. This is just my thoughts. You have thoughts. I hope I won't take you down a road. I don't think I will, but I hope that doesn't take you down a road. But what we will say, you know what? When we get there, the most important reason for being there is to be near the one who loves us. To be able to be with him that is just keenly observing and caring for our lives right now. And uh, to have somewhat the curtain pull back a little bit and to see how intricate his involvement is in our daily life. So that just gives maybe a little bit of a road map. If you have questions... Uh, I'm not opposed to addressing those questions. Just come up to me and ask me and say, have you thought about this or something like that? And I'd be more than happy to uh, make an attempt to address those things. So um, just excited with you to contemplate what our King has for us, our, our wonderful Savior, and the time that we get to enjoy being with him. And... Uh, moving through uh, the first part of our entrance into uh, where he is and where we will be with him forever. So let's take our Bibles, and uh, we're, we're going to turn a little bit more this morning in our Bible, so if you would, please go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to look at verse 13. This is a uh, great encouragement. Let's just start at uh, verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. And of course, the therefore is, so based on what has just been communicated, gird up the loins of your minds. In other words, strengthen them. Strengthen your minds. And soberly rest your hope upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I think one of the greatest realities of learning to anticipate being home in heaven is to 
have our minds exercised to say, I need to keep in mind the beauties of what God has told me about being with him forever. And it is a purposeful thing that as we think about it, I appreciate the context of the Lord's desire to encourage us about that moment that we're going to see him. I think sometimes even as believers, it could be possible that some of us might be a little fearful of what we call the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And some may be thinking this morning, well, you know, deep in the, in the quietness of my heart, I, I'm a little concerned. I'm, I'm concerned about what that's going to be. And folks, I want to just simply say this. I, 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 am, I am confident of the grace of God with respect to the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, I, I, uh, I want to present as best I possibly can the scriptures that relate that time when we're going to first be with him. And I don't think it's in his mind, in fact, I know it's not in his mind, that we should be a little apprehensive about what it's going to be like to see him. I believe these are direct communications from the heart of God that are telling us I want you to strengthen your mind. Sometimes our minds get a little weak, and sometimes in that area, and I am not, uh, I'm not at all advocating that we don't be good stewards of our walk. And we'll get into that just in a little bit. But I believe that he is communicating to us, anticipate that moment as a moment of great grace. Great grace. And that, that, is, uh, that is the communication that he's asking us to, to uh, I want you to strengthen that in your thinking is what he is saying. Make that strong in your thought life. That I'm coming and that when you see me, I am going to be seeing you and you're going to be seeing me and we're going to be in an atmosphere of grace. And that's why Peter is moved by the Holy Spirit to say, set your heart, your mind, your whole life upon the grace to be brought to you at the revealing of Jesus Christ. And that means some of us are going to have to, we're going to have to do some divine accounting. <laughs> we're, going to have to, we're going to have to exchange our humanness for what he has declared. And by grace, we can do that. His spirit will lead us to focus on the goodness of God. He will also help us with the need that we have for the fruit that we would like to see, but more importantly, what he has allowed us to be brought to because of his saving work in our lives. And he's going to produce that. I have, uh, I have a story that to me is one of my favorite stories. It's, it's a little bit of a, a joke I, or a funny story. And uh, there were two hunters going out one morning, and uh, they uh, got up very early. It's very dark. They parked their vehicle, walked across several fields with permission of the owners, and uh, had set up. Uh, their opportunity to do a little hunting in the uh, deer season. Uh, nothing that day, so as the sun was coming up, still a little bit uh, um, hard to see in the shades, but enough light to walk without a lot of difficulty back to their vehicle, they started walking through different fields. And uh, as they got into the last field where they were uh, uh, close to the car, um, they began to notice there was something way down in the uh, corner of this field. <laughs> and one of them said, you see that? What do you, what, what? He said, well, look down there in that corner. There's something and there's steam coming up. He stopped for a moment and he said, you know what? I think I do. 
And he said, I wonder what that is. And he said, yeah, I don't know. Let's just keep on moving. So they kept on going. And as they moved, this thing that had steam moved too. And before long, they realized it was a bull. And the bull started picking up his gate. And they looked at each other and said, we better get out of here. I think he wants to see us. So they got busy running and he was closing fast, and one of the hunters looked over at the other one and said, I don't know if we're going to make it. He said, do you know any prayers we can pray? He said, no, I really don't. I don't pray a whole lot. He said, well, we're going to need help. And as they ran, you could just, you know, it was imminent. And, uh, and finally, one of, one of the other guy, man, don't you have something you can say at this time of emergency? And he said, well, uh, yeah, I guess I, I, I do have one. It's, it's one my dad prayed once in a while at the dinner table. And he said, well, pray it. He said, okay, oh, Lord, make us thankful for what we're about to receive. <laughs> and sometimes when we think of the judgment seat of Christ, you know, we, uh, we kind of want to, oh, boy, yeah. We kind of want to go, nah, I don't think I want to go there on that one. So let's take a look at it. I'd like to address, if, and it's really not the elephant in the room, but for some of us, this is, this is a, it kind of makes us wonder, boy, I, I want to get that thing over with. And uh, I want to move on. And, and I want to encourage you that the judgment seat of Christ is far more sometimes than uh, maybe we think or have heard others uh, describe and um, I'd like to look at that with you briefly for a moment, if you will. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Hmm, I don't think we have a video going here, so I've got the first slide up, and I'll tell you what I'll do. I will... Um, oh, there we go. My fault. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so as we look at the judgment seat of Christ... Uh, and we think about it, let's hear um, some of the things that uh, are declared with respect to the judgment seat of Christ. I'm going to start reading at verse 11. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, straw... Each work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. And if anyone's work which he has built thereon endures, he will receive a reward. And if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." And again, as we uh, contemplate these passages of Scripture, it is uh, understandable that some would look at this and say, oh, whoa, man, and now wait a second. You're saying that as a believer, uh, there's going to be an evaluation of life? What is that evaluation of life going to be based on? How is the Lord going to look at my life? And one of the things that... Uh, is important for us to understand with respect to the judgment seat of Christ and perhaps the terminology judgment seat in this particular case has some distinctions from the other judgments that are recorded for us in Scripture. Now some of you know these, this is review for you, but for some of you this is brand new and these are things that you haven't uh, maybe had the opportunity to see in, in the Word of God. We understand the first judgment that we see, especially in the New Testament, with respect to our sin and the issue of God dealing with each and every sin that every one of us have committed, there was the judgment of sin at the cross. Most of us, if not all of us, know that. We, that's one of the beauties that uh, we've enjoyed about the Savior 
his care for us, to lay down his life, to take the guilt of our sin, the punishment of our sin, and take it to himself and literally destroy all the record of it. All the record is gone. The reason I'm emphasizing all is because that has a direct bearing on the judgment seat of Christ. Sin has been dealt with. Now, if you will, just briefly turn over to 1 John, I'm sorry, 3 John, I believe. I may change my mind here in a minute. This is impromptu. Yes, 1 John chapter 3. And verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. Synonymous with that is the next verse. Whoever has been born of God does not sin. Now some of you are going to say, well look, uh, I, I just committed sin about three seconds ago. How can you say the Bible says I do not sin? As some of us, uh, when we first came to the Lord, uh, we had some idea that we were sinners. I'll be 70, Lord willing, in December, and man, I'm telling you what, I know I'm a sinner. Saved, though. Washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. And the, the more you're acquainted with the work of what was done at the cross for you, the sweeter Christ becomes because you recognize that work was so powerful, so awesome, that it is credited to your account and will never be yanked. That's why this statement can be made. Does the Lord see us as believers sinning? Yes. But does he take that sin that we are struggling with as believers and hold it against us with respect to the beauty of salvation? No, he does not. That's the power of this passage of Scripture. And I think sometimes it's very easy for us to not allow our minds to be strengthened enough in the beautiful truth of what has happened at, at Calvary. That judgment stands alone in all judgments. And that judgment is a once and forever settled issue in the mind of God. And God says, I want that to be a settled issue in your thinking. Some have been afraid, and I can remember many uh, people that uh, had other teaching that said, you know, if you teach that too much, people are going to think they can go out and sin and do whatever they want to do. And I'm not saying that isn't the case, but I'm telling you, a child of God, God is going to take care of them, one way or the other. And I mean that. And you say, well, I know a lot of believers that are kind of washed up and messed out. God's still working with them. And to the degree that he's working, I am confident due to his nature and the desire that he understands the makeup of who we are and deals with us accordingly. So as we think about this and we think about that, that judgment, it's, it's, it's very critical in our thinking to understand that as we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, sin is not the issue. And some places would run me out on a rail for preaching that. I preach that without apology because that is what is communicated in the word of God. 
Your sin is evaporated. How else can I put it to you in the sense of a military piece of technology? And I, this is not doctrinal. It is just maybe a little window to help you get a hold of this. But as technology advances today in fighter jets and stealth, one of the highly sought-after items today is the ability to cloak your presence in the enemy's eyes. If you can't take their eyes out, you want to take the ability to be seen away from your enemy. It's kind of like a heat-seeking missile. When a jet, typically, when they had the first SAMs or the surface-to-air missiles for defenses against fighter uh, jets coming in and doing damage, they developed this system, and all it did was track the heat signature from the exhaust of the, of the jet engine. And they'd fire those missiles and they had programmed them to lock on those coordinates where the heat was emitted and it went right into the tailpipe of the engine and blew the, engine, the, sky, the plane out of the sky. And what God is telling us in this beautiful passage in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9 is, the heat signature of sin has been destroyed. And I say that in the sense that our enemy and sometimes the weakness of our thinking tends to want to say, well, I don't know. And those of you that have been around me, you know what I call that. I call that meology. That's not theology. Now we say, well, Christians can do some pretty dastardly things. Just, just hang on. <laughs> the Lord is, uh, he's, he's wanting us to understand something that is, is uh, an area that occasionally some believers try to move a little ahead of the Lord on, and, and I'm not picking unnecessarily, but the tendency is to move ahead of the Lord on some of these issues, and I understand that. That's not an issue that you would want to say, well, your thinking is incorrect, uh, and attack the motive. The motive is to, to do right before the Lord, and, and that, is, that is something to bear in mind when encountering a situation like this. But we have to stand on the authority of what God has communicated and we, we need to be very careful about what is contemporary or popular that's floating around among different groups or from different individuals, teachers. If anything, the beauty of God is, is that he so immerses us with his love and wins our hearts with his unfailing love that when we, we really let that love grip us or we need that love to bathe us, it creates in us a loyalty and a response to the one that would love a creature like me. And I know you know this, but I just want to say it. I, I'm comforted because Peter in his epistle said, I, I want to put you in way of remembrance. I've often thought about that. You know, you always want to, you want to sp speak and teach the word of God so that God's people get something. And you think, well, if you repeat something, oh, they already know it. No, I know you, many of you think this way. Sometimes my, uh, my receiver here has got a lot of clutter on it. And I don't always get everything the first pass. And God's message to us is we're his people. We are unconditionally loved. And his sacrifice and his commitment as our great high priest who ever lives to make intercession for us He's making intercession for your life right now. Sometimes we, we, we stop and say, well, why, why is he doing that? Because, I mean, sins have been paid for. He's keeping us. He's, he's before the throne with our needs. He's, he's, he's advocating for the direction we need in our lives. 
the next steps, the battles that we're fighting in our, our own walk. He is, he is going before the throne and answering accusations against the enemy. And that's a whole other realm. We, 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 I can talk to you about that privately if you'd like, but he stands before the throne and he is, he is making intercession. He is pleading, presenting our needs. And God is honoring those needs. Regardless if we consciously can think they're being met or not right now, there's a work going on and God is carrying that work out. So uh, enough said about the uh, aspect of the cross. What happens in a growing believer's life is that God teaches us to acknowledge the areas as we grow that are keeping us from really enjoying him and being able to see the priorities in life that he has for us to enjoy. And so this next passage, and I'll get into it in depth a little bit later, but there's the judgment of self. There's the, the accounting of our walk on a daily basis. And, and uh, this, is, uh, this is something that, again, if we can go back to that theme that we would strengthen or gird up the loins, the spiritual or soul muscles, the spiritual and soul muscles of our being to understand that this is not a tedious job, but actually this is a, this is a refreshing reconnection with the one that loves us. Some have argued, well, if he's paid for our sins, why do I ask him for forgiveness afterwards? Listen, whatever it takes in the sense, the sins are paid for. It is the acknowledgement before God that is a blessing to us to say, you know what, I thought that was a good thing. You know, I don't think that's such a healthy thing. I think, man, I, I want to I walk with the Lord in this. That is judging. That's an aspect of judging yourself, saying, you know, this hasn't been good for me. I don't want to pursue this path anymore, and that's part of the work of the Spirit of God. I better get going here. I might be taken out back, and somebody might have a few words with me. So, And I hope it's not going to be worse than that. All right, here we go. Here's the next area, and this is the one we'll look at here in just a moment. That's the third area. The fourth area will be Israel in the day of the Lord. That's actually going to be a very powerful judgment of God upon the nation of Israel, and that will institute Israel's returning to the Messiah and owning him as the king of kings, and that'll come at the very end of the tribulation. I am convinced the day of the Lord is not just a period of time. I believe also it's a literal 24-hour period. And I think if, if one goes back and takes a look at the scriptures, we don't have time to do that this weekend. I just want to say it'll match up with Matthew 24. It will help bring a lot of clarity to Matthew chapter 24. But that's what's going to take place at the return of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth, which is synonymous with the day of the Lord. We also know that the nations will be evaluated. The Gentile nations will be evaluated. And that is also in line with Matthew chapter 24 with the term, some of you have heard it, he separates the sheep and the goats uh, from the goats. And uh, in that judgment of Israel, there will be those that uh, have responded to the Lord Jesus Christ, their sheep, and there will be Gentiles that have responded to Christ in the tribulation. They're also sheep. They have believed at his coming. They've trusted him. But all those that have still held out and said, no, I will not, I will not take your offer. They are called the goats and they're judged. And then their, their consignment uh, is to go out into eternity lost for all of eternity. The two groups, the nations and the nation of Israel who are alive at that time will enter the millennial kingdom and they will be believers. At the start of the millennial kingdom, only believers will populate it at the very beginning. 
We'll talk more about that this evening. So that's the judgment of the nations. And then there will be the judgment of Satan and demons at the very end of the tribulation. And they will be cast into eternal lake of fire. And that's, that's, that's the next judgment. And of course, the last judgment will be the great white throne where the lost of all time are brought. And uh, it, it not only asks, I, I believe that it'll not only be the question of this was my son's offering, I made my son's offering available to you, and then accordingly their deeds, and then they will be consigned. So those are the major New Testament judgments in a capsulated form. And I'm not, I'm not trying to say this and covers or covers all judgments. I'm just saying these are the major ones if we're going to look at them in light of the New Testament, and especially one concerning believers. Now, as we move into the judgment seat of Christ for believers, there are some other passages, and I think these other passages augment what we just read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and it helps us get a little bit better view of, of the value of what's taking place at the judgment seat of Christ. It won't appear like it at first. It'll look like a bull in the corner coming after us. But... Uh, this is awful corny, so please bear with me. Oh, Lord, make us thankful for what we're about to receive. There is hope before the fence line. <laughs> People make it. <laughs> and I just want to say, hang in there because there's some sweet surprises for some that, of you that are not able at this point to maybe put all the pieces together you've never had this presented to you or maybe you have and it's just grown dull there's hope for the believer at the judgment seat of Christ I want I want to say also that there's hope for those that suffer loss okay um, and, and we'll deal with that all right I, I think there's a sweet beautiful powerful statement that uh, the Lord is going to make to us as we look at these two passages now if you will take your Bibles and just move over to the second epistle uh, to the Corinthians chapter 5 second Corinthians chapter 5 and I uh, want to look at a statement that is made with respect to the judgment seat of Christ Second Corinthians chapter five, verse ten. Which reads, and I am reading this, this should be read in context, so there's a contextual uh, consideration here, but there is a uh, a very particular aspect of this that I wanted to direct our thinking to. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There's two distinctions here that are very important to understand. One of them is the terminology to appear. And I've taken a little extra time. I wanted to be very careful about this. There is a... a, a very small but important distinction made between this and a companion passage over in Romans chapter 14 and verse 10. And we'll look at that in just a moment. The distinction is that in this sense, the word to appear means to stand down in front of or to stand in front of. It would be like uh, me coming down and you be the assessors, and I'm standing in front of you, and you're directing your uh, considerations towards me. That, that's the picture, that's the, that's the frame in which this passage of Scripture is given to us. So bear that in mind. Now the second thing that is obvious, and I want to address this situation, and some have said, well, I don't know, John, you know, he's going to reward according to the things which have been done, whether good or bad. Whoops, there's bad. Now, let's stop for a moment. I have looked at this word. There are others who say there's a different Greek word there. I am not debating that, but I couldn't find it. So I'm just telling it to you to the extent that I have looked at it. 
I think the contextual argument on the basis of other scriptures that we have looked at is not a sense of you've done evil things, therefore you're going to be rewarded for evil. That would be missing the context of other scriptures and especially the one that deals with the fact that the retribution of sin, our sin, all of it, was carried out at the cross. Folks, if our title deed of sin wasn't canceled against us, there was something left, we've got troubles. And I want to tell you this morning, based on the word of God, we don't have troubles because he stood in the midst of our troubles and took them to himself and wiped them out. So what does this term bad mean? And I think a correct way to interpret this in light of the weight of bearing scriptures with respect to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ simply has to be worthless. Things that are worthless. Things that just, they, they, they're not worthy of being rewarded. And I think this is important for us to be able to make that distinction. Now, some have said, well, you know, the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a time where the Lord's going to take a few divine swats at us. Folks, I cannot find that in the Scripture. Yes, you can take me to, to different portions of the Word of God, and you can present an argument, and I'm not, I don't want to challenge your motive in it, I don't find that terminology consistent with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Does he play loose with sin in our lives as a believer? No, he does not. And that's why we have the admonition in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 31 that if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. This is not a judgment of redemption. This is a judgment with respect to current lifestyle. What he's saying is, I don't want you to be robbed of the blessings that you may move in a direction that will complicate things. And I want to state this just as carefully as I can. My tendency is I have to guard against snowflake Christianity. And yet at the same time, I have to be careful I don't violate the beautiful grace of Jesus Christ. And at the same time, I have a growing respect for his holiness and righteousness. It's not... Sorry, some, somebody said, could you do that face again? Okay, ready? Some of you over here didn't get... No, I didn't go to Hollywood and learn how to do that stuff. That's just me. <laughs> My heart's desire is to communicate truth and to be faithful to the word of God and to be faithful to the Lord Jesus. And the Lord Jesus wants you to know he's faithful to you, loves you. Contrary to popular opinion, he created you, yes, for the beautiful reality of his purposes, but he created you so that he might share the generosity of who he is with the creation that is made in his image. Folks, we haven't even begun to live yet. I almost want to jump right into the millennium right now. Some of you say, well, why don't you jump right out of it and let's... Save that for another time. Well, all right, let's, let's, let's move on because I think these are critical areas of our thinking that need to be brought before the Lord and examined in light of his word. What, what can I say? Can I say to you that somebody that's been a believer that's been terribly wronged by a believer in time, will that not be addressed at the judgment seat of Christ? Yes, I believe the Lord will take care of all of the loose ends of what happened. But remember, 1 John, do you have I right? 
1 John chapter 3, I believe it is, that when we see him, we shall become like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's a mountain load of beauty in that passage of Scripture. When we're translated into his presence, all of this muck that we are tired of putting up with is gone. And we'll think exactly like the Lord does. And we will call it as it is. I don't think there will be any difficulty in someone that's been stubborn and hard-hearted and has even caused a lot of trouble for some other believer. I don't believe there will be a, a bat's eye difference. I don't know. What's a bat's eye difference? Eyelash batting, not a... Okay. But what they won't move immediately to the one that they've wronged in time. If that never happens, sometimes, you know, you say, well, eternally he's going to have to settle it. I can't help but believe that believer will move right away and say, I, I want nothing to do with my past in the way I've treated you. I humbly ask your forgiveness. And you know what? Because we're all made like him, we will go, I forgive you. And we won't have a grudge. Why? Because we will think like he thinks. How does the Lord think about the massive payment he's made towards sin? I'll tell you what, one of the things that cheers my soul is that when he got up from the grave, he did rise from the dead. He didn't come out there and say, all right, you rascals, you ought to be thankful I forgive you. What do you see? The beauty of God's heart. The beauty of who he is in essence. Fully God, fully man. We'll be so attracted to him once we hit heaven's shore, we'll ever wonder how we navigated this life out of his presence. And yet we'll look back and say, Lord, you were there all the time. Now let's move to the next one. Um, I, I know this is something that I have up here for us just to help us a little bit in the sense of identifying. This is, this is why this judgment is different, is that this is a judgment of reward. I've looked at this pretty hard, and even the terminology used here has a little distinction in the grammar as opposed to all of these other judgments. So as we think about it, it's a raised platform, I enjoyed looking this up a little bit and cross-referencing some of the other places in the New Testament where this bima, this is a distinction from the other judgments. It's a place of dignity, prominence, and authority. I, 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 I can't help but wonder, and I want to be careful about it, I can't help but wonder if God didn't use some of the knowledge that Paul had of the Olympic Games. It seems as though he references that in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 as we talk about what it means to uh, run a qualified race. And part of running a qualified race is to rest in the grace of God and to understand it's not our strenuous efforts that make for a happy day as much as it is to know that God is creating in us a desire to move forward for him. He plants a desire in there. You say, John, where's your proof? Second chapter of the book of Philippians. Those of you that know me, you say, okay, Mr. Heller, stand aside. I'll quote it for you. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's grace. God working in you through his kindness. He warms your heart to understand, I, I want that. I remember when I was struggling before the Lord convinced me he wanted me saved. I got to thinking about, I don't know, am I ready to give up all I think I should? 
which was really a silly thought, but in one sense, I was comforted. The Lord said to me, and I didn't hear an audible voice. It was just so apparent to me. John will deal with that later. Get saved. Put your trust in me. Now, I'm not saying that's the exact way everybody comes to the Lord. The Lord has, has multitudes of ways that he deals with each and every one of us. It just shows us that he takes into account our uniqueness and our individuality. But we all come through the blood. We all come secure because of his resurrection. It's God's stamp saying, my son has done all that's necessary to secure you for eternity. Okay, it's a little after 10. I need a little help. I know I've looked at the schedule, but thank you. All right, so let's, uh, we've already taken a look at these passages. Um, I'm hoping my system is operating the way it does. It won't stop me, but. I wanted you to be able to track along and take notes if you wanted to. And by the way, while you're taking notes, last night I made reference to the reward holding on to the word of God is Psalm 19, verse 12. It really is Psalm 19, verse 11. So I make that correction. Um, just wanted you to have the accurate address. Okay, now we're going to go... Um, Let's just turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 10, verse uh, 14. And again, these may appear to be like, eh, I don't know, those are nice, nice ideas. Is it really all that uh, critical? I take any time the Lord makes a little move, either in the word that's used or the context in which it's, it's set, it's worthy to pay attention to it. So if you see something a little different here, you want to ask, okay, there's a difference there. Why is that difference there? And there is a difference, a little difference. It's, it's not uh, going to take away from the, the value of what the judgment seat is all about. The judgment seat is a place of, of awards. If you can only think of it in the terms of when you watch the, either the Winter Olympics or the Summer Olympics, we know the drill in the sense that once the competition is completed, you have a first, second, and third place, and they all go to a BEMA. It's a raised platform, and they are awarded. So first, uh, rather, 14th chapter of Romans and verse 10. Now, why do you judge your brother? Or rather, but why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? And in context, uh, part of the, the uh, reality here is, is that, uh, as the tendency is, people are making comments on what they think is a person's uh, status with respect to the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? People are judging other Christians for, uh, I don't think they're going to have a whole lot of reward. It, it may be a correct as assessment, but you know that assessment needs to stay with the Lord. Uh, personally, I, I don't find that a profitable thing. In fact, I, I, I take this admonition in a personal sense to say, John, you just uh, you keep your eye on me. Um. Paul even said that about himself. I don't even judge myself. We'll look at that in just a moment. I don't even judge myself. I, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to wait till I get home to see him. It wasn't that he was out of communication with the Lord. It wasn't that he was in doubt that he was in good standing with the Lord. He just didn't understand all the things that the Lord would commend him for. And so he, he preserved himself from trying to judge. Well, did I do this and is that going to be rewarded? I don't know. You get the beautiful statement by Paul in one sense, 
Be cognizant that your life is worth living for his glory and his honor, and it's enjoyable to learn to live for him. That's the joy in life. And he says, I'm not too worried about all of the rewards I'm going to receive. I don't know what they're going to be, and I don't want to really mess my thinking up in time, worrying, oh, is that worthy of reward? Am I doing it for the right reason, or did I overblow it, or oh, did I lose it? No, the key is two things. <laughs> Growing in your appreciation for who he is will allow your inward character to start developing. God will do it. It's his work. He does that work. He wants us to be aware of that as he's working, but he does the work. And number two, he says, look, just, just do house cleaning. Do inventory and make sure you're not off onto something that's taking you away from the enjoyment and blessing of myself. So when we get to Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, we're looking at a situation where now, instead of the coming down and in front of, brother, could I ask you to join me? I know it's impromptu and it's like, ooh, thank you. I won't shame you, I won't embarrass you. All right. This is the picture of Romans chapter 14 and verse 10, standing alongside. What does that tell you? I don't even know this guy, but I think you're a pretty good guy. <laughs> Thank you. What the Lord is saying is, yes, living life is something we want to engage in. But he's also telling us, I have paid for all the garbage. What I'm interested in now is rewarding you. Some would say, well, yeah, if you look at one of those passages after it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, Paul says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Be careful. Read that in the contextual sense. Read that in line of his testimony that he was concerned about among fellow believers. And what he is saying is the fear of the Lord, respect for him, causes me to want to persuade others. I want to say, don't take this home and put it in your spiritual bank. But I'm a person that I don't know why this thing keeps going back to this, but maybe I can get it to go this way. No. Okay, come on. Apple, do your stuff. I understand this has not been wired yet for Apple products. I'm beginning to see why. All right, so I've taken those two passages of Scripture. I have uh, put them in my small little pea brain to try to get a grip on this. Okay? This is not how it is. May I say that again? Dude, that's not how it is. Now, the two passages of Scripture, that we can stand on. But my little chart up there, that's it just, it's just, you know, let's just take a dart and make an effort to throw something at it, and I want you to know it's just my, my, my idea. But as we stand and he, he assesses, we would say, okay, I get it. There's times, and of course, the white is um, the times that uh, we've done things good in the body that God's going to reward. The things that are things that were done in the body that are worthless, that are not going to be rewarded. It may be that a sinful pattern of life caused those moments in our lives the sin is not going to be held against us. It's just that aspect of that is evaporated. Now, some of you are going, oh, that's not real encouraging either. No, it's not, but hang on. This is just, this is just thinking with you out loud a little bit, and please, again, 
Don't take this home and say, this is what it is, and I don't like it, and you don't have to like it. I don't want you to like it if you don't like it. It just helps us maybe put... This is not judgment of sin. This is the availability that the Lord made very clear. I want you all to have a full reward, and, and, and that is his heart's desire, is to do that. And then I want to just add, admonish us to look at uh, the reality. Just jot this passage of Scripture down. It's a beautiful picture that Revelation chapter 1 and verse 13 gives us of the, of the demeanor of Christ as he is walking among the church. You know, he walks among this place. And he walks in the attitude of his, his role as a high priest. He intercedes as he walks among us. He's also looking with those eyes uh, and, and their discerning eyes, their truthful eyes. But there's a little statement. This passage doesn't really capture it in the way that it is uh, in the original. It just says, but there was a golden band girt around his chest. In other words, it causes us to do a little bit of thinking with respect to the high priest in the Old Testament had on his chest the 12 tribes of Israel. Signifying that not only was he standing as a representative for men in the presence of God, but that the location of where that was was very vital in the sense that he was also a compassionate and merciful God. And what to me seems so precious about this is, is that the word girt is not to restrain. The word girt is often used in the New Testament as preparing to give. It can be a source of restraint, but oftentimes it is a sense of giving. And he will evaluate us with compassion, but he will do so in truth. And so the idea is, as we stand in front, he will bring the reality of what has been worthy of reward. And then, as we are going through that, he will stand alongside of us and we will be in complete agreement with him and we will know his compassion. We will know he's not there ripping us to pieces and saying, why didn't you do this? And how come you did it this way? And I don't like that. But rather, his arms of mercy will go around us and he says, I've paid for those things at the cross, the sins that maybe got in the way. And let's, and I, you know, I have to be careful. But I, the beautiful thing about being things that are burned up is that they're erased. They don't follow us for all of eternity, the mistakes. It's a, it's a time to give reward. I think I'm going to close on that, and we'll come back and look at this just briefly a little bit more this evening. I just want to encourage your heart. Please, the Lord's heart for us is for good. He's getting us ready to reign with him. That's what this, this journey right now, part of this journey is he's, he's getting us ready to reign, and, and uh, he's getting us ready for a coming kingdom while at the same time, the kingdom that's within us, we're like little outposts of light planted all over the world. And we're to the degree that we're willing to allow his, his love to permeate us, his grace, his kindness, his words. As that flows out in the way we treat other people, and people are looking, <laughs> they watch us so close. I got to stop. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you for the wonderful way that you have brought us to understand all that the Lord Jesus is in the sense of time. We're able to take in these things. Thank you, Father, that you would open them up to us and help us to think We'd far rather be motivated by love than some sort of a rod hanging over us of fear and dread. 
Lord, I just thank you that all of that was dealt with at at Calvary. And yet, Lord, thank you that you've also encouraged those that do want to live for you and, and understand that, that you desire to reward. And Father, I thank you that your son is, is generous also and that he will reward all. There will be no one there, Father, that will not have something to say, I receive this reward from the Lord. Thank you. Thank you that we can look forward to the judgment seat. And Father, we thank you there won't be any jealousy there. Thank you there won't be any sense of competition there. We will understand it's all for your honor, and we're pleased that it would be that way, and that you would honor us through the things that you have allowed us to be part of in our lives. So help us to mull these things over, Father, not to forget them. Help us to bring them in so that we strengthen our thinking according to your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.